0: Proverbs 22, the book of Proverbs chapter 22. We'll read the chapter, we take our text from verse 6. We hear the inspired word of God. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and poor meet together, The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, He will not depart from it. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. He that loveth pureness of heart For the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. The slothful man saith, There is a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. The mouth of strange women is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Bow down thine ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall withal be fitted in thy lips. That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Rob not the poor because he is poor neither oppress the afflicted in the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. Make no friendship with an angry man And with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are surety for debt. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. We read God's Word that far. May God bless it to our hearts. We take verse 6 as our text. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, Solomon, by the inspiration of the Spirit, sets forth here in our text a profound truth. When you hear this Word of God, what is your reaction Aren't we inclined to say, but he must not have met my son or my daughter? We take exception at times. Are there not many examples and illustrations, even the Bible, where someone was trained, but then they turned out very different from the direction in which that training had guided them? Parents train their children, and those children turn away. This is not a humanly invented proverb. This is God's word, and therefore this is truth. And so how would we understand this passage? By faith we lay hold on it as our encouragement as parents. As we train up our children, and as we take up the difficult calling of parenting, we lay hold on God's promise that God will bless the labor of our hands. Now, God is talking here about all of his true children. We understand that. God's promises always are particular. They apply only to those who are his own, his elect. But God is pleased to gather his children from among our children. Now, in a general way, we can say that all of the training that our children receive will stay with them for their entire life. Even if they depart from it, they know better. And not only will they experience troubles as a result, but ultimately God will hold them accountable. Not all our children respond favorably to instruction and training. And the fact is we're not able to train all of our children at all times in every instance. If God has not regenerated and placed new life in the hearts of our children, they're not going to be receptive. They're not going to respond to the instruction That we would bring. The child doesn't walk in the way of obedience. The child will not pursue the way of holiness. And though parents try ever so hard to direct that one. We as parents acknowledge we stand dependent upon God. And upon the work of his spirit in the hearts of our children. It may well be that parents tried ever so hard. That the pastor, the teachers tried to train that one. Instruction was given. The rod was applied. But there was no fruit. No training took place. And the guilt will be on the head then of that child. But God here is talking about his children among our children. And God's rule stands when we train up the child in the way that he should go. By the grace of God, he will not depart from it when he is old. As parents, we're thankful not only for the gift of children, but we're thankful for God's covenant faithfulness. And we're thankful for God's promises, and we lay hold on them. As a parental calling, we're involved in a work that has eternal consequences. God gives us to train children whose souls will continue to all eternity. Everything else that we have is going to perish, but not the souls of these children and God gives us the calling to give them the very best training that we can from early on we fall on our knees and we cry out to God for help and for grace we realize how sinful we are how often we fail and we realize how serious this is God has entrusted to us covenant children whom we are called now to care for for a time So serious this is that we take vows on the occasion of baptism, vowing that we will, to the utmost of our power, train up these children in his fear. We do so in connection with this promise. And we look at this promise under the theme, Training Up a Child. Noting, first of all, the sharp admonition that's required here. Secondly, the straight direction that we desire to lead our children on. And finally, the sure promise. First of all, the sharp admonition. The admonition comes to us, train up a child in the way he should go. The child must be trained. Now, there are various periods in the life of an individual. There are periods that have to do with childhood, and then adolescence, and then manhood. And we can distinguish each according to various characteristics. The period of childhood is... Characterized by receptivity. The child is easily influenced. The child is like a sponge, taking on everything that that one hears and responds easily and is receptive to what he's taught. The memory is strong. The learning is easily retained. And so we take opportunity in those early impressionable years to impress upon our children as much as we can with regard to God and His Word and His will and the importance of submitting to it. We teach them from early on, life is not about pursuing your will. It's not doing what you want. It's about the will of your parents, and ultimately the will of God, as that will is being conveyed by your parents. And so, during those early years, we discipline, and we teach, and we train. But then they grow up to the period of adolescence, where the receptivity and the passivity are diminished, and now that child is beginning to reflect now on what he's learned, and he's making decisions, he's applying it to his life and to his walk, and he's beginning to get a job now, and he gets experience in the world, and he faces practically consequences now of what he's been taught, the sacrifices that are necessary, decisions that need to be made, not in accordance with his will and what he desires, but God's will and God's ways. Decisions need to be made that keep God at the center of his or her life. Relationships begin to bloom, and important decisions are needing to be made. Am I dating with a view to marriage? Am I desiring to establish a home where God is central, marrying in the Lord? Am I committed to bringing forth children as God requires and desires? Then there's the period of manhood, which is characterized by the fact that the mind is molded now. Ideas have been formed and established. And one cannot so easily anymore impress or shape the character of that one. If one is used to, by that time, living for oneself, if he's used to others serving him, then it's going to be extremely difficult in marriage and in relationships. It's going to be hard for that one to learn now that life is not about him or about her. Life is about God and it's about serving God and submitting to one another for God's glory. Damage is done if training was not faithful. And that's what our passage really is getting at here. Our text is using a word here for child that is very broad and has broad application from that child all the way up through adolescence to the point where that one becomes an adult. And the idea is that that child, from that time period, needs to be trained. And training falls upon the responsibility primarily of the parents. Of course, there's specialized training that ultimately they're going to pursue if they desire to be a carpenter or truck driver or farmer or welder. Specialized training is going to be required. But that's not so much what the text is talking here about. The text is talking here about the general calling of parents to prepare their children for a life in this world that gives God glory. Parents have a responsibility that continues from infanthood through those formative years to adolescence. Parents are teaching their children, who is God? What is our relationship to God? Teaching the children, what is Our relationship to the world in which we live. What is our calling as we live in the midst of this world? And what's our calling as we live in connection with God? They're teaching their children about Christ and about the wonder of forgiveness through His blood and the joy that is ours by the power of His Spirit. They're teaching their children, you need to live for God and you need to live for the glory and honor of God. And teaching their children from early on to wash one another's feet, to serve one another, and to pursue the will of God in everything that they're doing. During that entire time period, parents have the responsibility to be training their children. God gives us a child again whose existence will continue forever. Everything else we have is going to pass away. But the soul of our children will continue to all eternity. There's nothing more important that means in your life than the instruction and training of the children that God entrusts to you. Your job, it's secondary. Your money, it's secondary. The pursuit of material things, it's secondary. Your children are the most important thing that God has given or entrusted to you. Anything in your life, therefore, that stands between you and the training of your children needs to be evaluated. As we take up that responsibility, we realize we have just a small window of opportunity here. So quickly those children grow up, and so quickly they become adults, and now we lose that opportunity that was given us during those formative years. The crucial time is now, when they're young. Now from an earthly perspective, everything hangs on our text, on that word train. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And the word in the Hebrew is very expressive. The Hebrew is always a very expressive language. And so also with this word train, the original word means literally stuff. Stuff one's mouth. And so we understand the application there to eating and to feeding. Struggle to that takes place there in a very real way. Everyone who has children knows the struggle sometimes that it is to get them to eat. But the necessity, they have to eat. And if they don't eat, they're not going to be able to grow and become strong. And so we force them to eat sometimes. We demand of them that they have to eat something. And we fill them. Now the process of education, the training, is like that. We are filling them with that instruction. And that instruction comprises of the truth, the Word of God. We are filling them with the Word of God. And we are stuffing them with the truth of God's word. Now, Sometimes a child, as we say, doesn't want to eat. You make them eat because you know it's good for them and it's necessary for their health. And the same thing with regard to their spiritual well-being. They need to be taught. They aren't going to want it. They're going to even resist it and especially discipline. But it's necessary. And so we must do it. This is what lies behind the instruction of Deuteronomy 6. The familiar passage where it talks about teaching them, and then teaching them by the way, and in the house, and writing it on the doorposts, and all of the various aspects of application that come in terms of teaching God's commandments to our children. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Seize the opportunity. Use the opportunity as a teaching moment. Carefully choose the music that you're going to be playing in your home. Use it as an opportunity to teach your children from early on the kind of things they ought to be listening to, the kind of things they ought not be listening to. Carefully choose the things you allow them to watch. And again, instruction is being given as to what they ought to set their eyes on and what they ought not. Children are not going to desire positive biblical instruction at all times. And so we demand it, we force it on them. Think of a tree, a tree that's growing crooked. In order to get that tree to grow straight, we need to stake it back down. That tree is not going to correct itself of its own. And we don't just leave it out there growing and continue crooked. We get out the stakes and we get some rope and we pull that tree straight. We need to work against the will of that tree in order to make sure that that tree is going to grow straight. Effort. Labor is required. And so it is with regard to our children. They need to understand the truth of the scriptures. And they need to understand why the Bible is authoritative. And so we teach them, this is God's word. How is it God's word? God is the one that inspired it with his own hand. He wrote the words of scripture. The importance then of submitting to it and living according to it. And seeing that this is the way of gratitude that God requires of us we make them understand the truth not only but to live it this needs to have application out of your life as you make decisions in life this is what needs to guide you we teach them how they are to talk and how they are not to talk and we do so also by our example you don't talk bad of your teachers you don't bad mouth your coach you don't bad mouth the refs you talk carefully you respect those who are in authority And by our example, we're leading and guiding them in the way in which they make use of their mouth and their tongue for the glory and honor of God. This must be done when a child is a child. And the child then takes it, the child digests it. And by God's grace, the child makes it his or her own possession. This is not brainwashing. That's the accusation that's directed toward us. That would be the case if we were imposing on them our own ideas. But when we impress upon them God's word and the teaching of the scriptures, we're not brainwashing. We're impressing upon them that which is obedience to God and that which glorifies God. And so, beloved, as parents, our calling is to stuff our children with the word of God. Ultimately, Christ is that word. Not a day may go by that we do not impress upon our children their need for Christ in some way or another. We're pointing them to Christ when they sin. When they're walking in obedience, we're pointing them to Christ. When they're walking in a manner that requires decisions that need to be made, we point them to Christ, demonstrating how difficult it was even for Him to do His Father's will. He too had to pray, If it be Thy will, let this cup pass from Me. But nevertheless, not My will, Thy will be done. Even Jesus saw the need to submit to His Father's will and did so for your and my salvation. When we're outdoors with them, we talk about the trees and about the leaves. We talk about the butterflies and the caterpillars. We talk about the sun. And we do so making connections to Christ and to the wonder of God as Creator and pointing out the joy and wonder of their salvation from all of these various aspects of the creation. The creation displays the handiwork of God and His glory. And such is our calling. We can't do anything without thinking about Christ and the wonder of salvation. And that's our desire. That our children don't do anything without thinking about Christ and about the thankfulness that they owe unto Him. So that when they spend their money, when they decide on relationships... Whatever they're doing, they're thinking about the fact, I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And my calling is to live unto Him. It's to serve Him and to give Him glory and to pursue His way and His will. This, beloved, is an expression of love toward our children. We don't let them get to the age of childhood and then adolescence without training In human terms, then it's too late. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, what is that way that he should go? We secondly look at the straight direction that that training is to direct them. Take place in the way in which he should go. Literally, we read there the demand of his way. Now, some have interpreted that to mean that we train up a child according to the demand of his age and character, according to his ability, and that makes the instruction then adapted to the situation and circumstances of that child. That's very good advice. As parents, we need to know our children. We need to know their limitations. We need to know what they're capable of. One child is able to recite the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, at two years old already. The next one struggles to do it at three. But understanding the age, the character of our children, we adapt the instruction to meet their needs. But there's more here that's required of the text. This passage requires that we train the child not according to his or her demands, but in harmony with the way that he should walk or must walk in the midst of the world. The demand of his way is the way that God has ordained as the way that is good, the way that is pleasing. Now, there are two ways that lay before us and our children, the way that they would go and the way that they ought to or should go. The way that they would go headlong into ruin. The book of Proverbs again and again states the foolishness. Verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Our children are inclined to pursue the way that leads to hell. That's their inclination. It's in their nature. And we're the same way. We're inclined to pursue that way that would lead to destruction. We must be directing them away from that path to the way that they ought go, the way that they should go. Now, the Bible often refers to man's life as a way. From a spiritual point of view, man is not on a lake just drifting aimlessly in a boat. Man is walking on a definite path. And there's progress. There's advancement in life. And either one is walking increasingly in the ways of sin, and that sin is developing. So that if one is given to lying, that lying continues. And pretty soon it gives over to stealing. And pretty soon it develops in other ways. God is not mocked. When individuals walk down path that is contrary to His will, He gives them over to that. On the other hand, there is that way that is good, that way that is honorable, that way that is in the pursuit of God's will. That's the path that's being spoken of here. Now, education then must direct our children in the way that they should go. It must be such that it leads them in the way of God's covenant, the way of Gratitude and thankfulness to God in the way that gives Him glory. Knowledge of the Word, then, is going to be the most important thing. It's going to be crucial in their lives. We teach them God's Word. We can never teach them too much of God's Word. They need to know the Word of God. We teach them the Bible stories from early on. We begin to build on that and teach the principles that are behind those Bible stories but we are not content with mere intellectual knowledge. We desire to see that word live in their hearts so that they understand not only who God is, but that they have a personal relationship with that God. They understand not merely that Jesus died for sinners, but that Jesus died for my sin, and he laid down his life for me. And they grow up learning then the word of God, As it's central in their lives. Their life revolves around God. It revolves around His will. And they need to submit to God for His glory. They learn that there are severe consequences when they walk away from that way and they try to walk according to their own way. And they hear the warnings that not just their parents bring, but their parents bring them from the Word of God. Foolishness. You don't want to walk in foolishness. You're talking back to your mother. Look what the Bible says about children who talk back to their parents. Look what the Bible says about those who rebel against authority. The Proverbs especially are filled with warnings and filled with admonitions. What is the way that leads? Contrary to God's way, it's the way that leads to hell. And don't fool yourself. You think you can just walk a little bit. The devil gets hold of you. And starts drawing you into the ways of sin. What happened during the time of the judges? You children remember, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Devastating that was. Instead of pursuing the way that God had ordained, they decided, we're just going to do what we want to do. And the result then was intermarriage. Young men marrying women that were not godly, that did not love God, were not committed to the church of God. The consequences was, were that the parents were not teaching their children about God and about the things of God's kingdom. So that a whole generation grew up who was ignorant. They didn't understand why they were to bring sacrifices. They didn't understand the significance or importance of loving and serving God. And the result then was that they allowed their children to do whatever they wanted. And judgment upon judgment came upon then the Israelites. Every day as parents, we flee to the cross ourselves. We realize how sinful we are. We realize how our example was not what it should have been. We lost our temper when we ought not have. We said things in front of our children we shouldn't have. We did not lead them with the example that we ought to have. And we acknowledge, I need Christ. Apart from the work of His Spirit in my heart, I can't maintain that way that He requires of me. And every day we're asking God for guidance. How shall I order this child? That was the striking response of Manoah and his wife when God instructed them that they would have a son and that his name would be Samson and that he would be a Nazarite. They asked, how shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And that's the question that godly parents ask. How is it that I'm going to train this child? How is it that I should order the course of this child's life? And specifically as we get to know the individual children and get to know their personalities and we wrestle with their stubborn nature, we pray and we fall on our knees and we acknowledge, God, help me. This is not something I'm capable of doing of myself. I'm dependent upon the work of Thy Spirit in their hearts. We're not content to see that instruction merely form the way of a border on their garments. The Israelites did that. They would hang pieces of Scripture on their garments so they could look at them. Sometimes we do that. We wear bracelets. We wear necklaces that are Christian, are appropriate. God desires that our training go beyond that. It must be the pervading substance of their lives that they live unto Him. And that these principles find a place where they learn to pray. They spend time in the Word. From a child, they desire to walk with God and to love Him and to serve Him. Every day, as parents, feeling the weight of this calling, devoting time, personal time to teaching our children the way that they should go. A calling ultimately that falls upon the mothers in the home. As fathers are absent, much of the day working. But when we get home, we're assisting. We're backing up our wives. We're maintaining the fact that our children need to honor and need to respect them. We're backing up their discipline. And we're teaching them the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We're teaching them the knowledge of the truth. And we're teaching them how important the truth is. And the impact that truth has on every aspect of their life. And we pray for the Spirit to work in their heart that salvation. To work in their heart that regeneration and that work that we don't take for granted. This is God's work. And God is the one not only that promises that He will do so. He's the one that will accomplish that promise in the way of prayer and the way of faithfulness. We provide direction then. We lead our children in the way that they should go. We never lose sight of the distinctiveness of that way. Heaven and hell are opposite directions. And we must maintain that antithetical walk. God calls us to say yes to Him, to say no to the things of sin and the things of the devil. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And there's a separation between our children, between the church and the world. And as they find themselves in the midst of the world, we impress upon them, you are not of the world. You are of God's camp. And as God's camp, you live in a different way. You talk in a different way. You're going to stand out just like Samson stood out with his long hair and the restrictions that were laid upon him. You're going to get mocked. You're going to get ridiculed because you belong to Jesus Christ. And even as they hated Christ, they're going to hate you. But don't be deterred. This is the way that God has ordained, and God will bless, and God will be with. Our homes are spiritual boot camps. Training for the military is not easy. Some of you know that. You've been there, you've gone through it. It's difficult. The soldier needs to be trained to use his weapons, he needs to be trained to endure, he needs to be trained to work as a team. And he needs to be trained to submit to authority. All of those are important aspects of the training our children need. Like a soldier, they must be trained to use their weapon, the Word of God, prayer. They must be taught to endure. Don't give up. Press on. Don't be discouraged. They must be taught to submit their will to that of a higher authority, Jehovah God. And they must be taught to work together. God's children are in communion one with another. And we labor together in this glorious work that God has given to us. We're not a one-man show. We need each other. And we must not think that we can live apart from the body. God gives gifts to the body. And those gifts are necessary for us as well as we're necessary for the body. As we train, we realize that God is the one alone that can bless it. And you children need to be respectful to your parents for that training. You need to see the love that they have for you. You need to understand the fact that they are doing this because they love God and because they desire to see you walk in the paths of obedience to God. You need to realize, when you talk back to them, when you roll your eyes at them, when you disobey them, you're doing that to God. God is the one that has put them in His place. And now, you submit to them as you submit to God. The enemy does not wait with his influence. The devil is bringing that influence early on, and the devil is relentless in the influence that he directs toward our children. And so that training we realize, becomes even more challenging today than it did years ago. Now we have phones, we have internet, we have all of these challenges that need to be navigated and the wisdom that's required in order to direct and to guide our children through these things. The devil is constantly trying to get them to go their own way. We don't give our spiritual soldiers over to the world to be trained. The world's not going to teach the antithesis. The world's not going to teach them God's will and God's way. Or rather the opposite. And quickly the world is going to teach them to compromise the truth. It's going to teach them to tolerate sin. Accept, even rejoice with those who are walking in sin. It's going to teach them live it up a little bit. As you get away from your parents, live your life. Pursue that which you desire. Walk in the ways that you to walk. They're going to be encouraged to pursue the ways of sexual immorality, the ways of pleasure, the ways of greed, the ways of covetousness. Sometimes we settle for the best that we have, aware of the extra burden that places upon us. And especially sending our students off to college, colleges that are not that reform, perhaps not guiding and leading our students in a way that gives Glory to God. We recognize the burden that places upon us. And we double our efforts to impress upon them the way that they ought to go. And we pray for them. And we pray for the day when we might be able to send our children to our own schools from childhood all the way to adulthood. A sacrifice. And we know the burden, the sacrifice already. In grade schools, maintaining high school But perhaps even a college should God will it. Recognizing the calling, the responsibility God places upon us. And we ask ourselves this question, am I leading my children in the way that they should go? Am I faithfully directing them according to the way that God would have me to do so? What kind of instruction are they receiving? Am I overseeing that instruction so that I know what they're receiving? Am I seeing to it that they're being molded in the fear and honor of Jehovah. We're thankful for catechism and for the formal instruction that takes place in the church. We we consider it the official preaching of the gospel to our children, and therefore only the elders and the pastor are involved in that instruction from first grade all the way through twelfth grade. This is a means of grace, and we pray that God will use this to impress upon the hearts of our children, their need for Christ and the wonder of Christ. As students, you need to be respectful. You need to be reverent. You need to learn and memorize. You do it because you love God and you desire to pursue the will of God. And as parents, we ask them about their catechism. We make sure that they know it and they understand what it is that they're learning so that we impress upon them again the way they are to go. And as they get older, we lay upon them the obligation that is theirs to join themselves as members of Christ's church. That their calling is to pursue a church that is faithful to God's word. And that church membership is important. It's not enough to be content with the fact that they' are children who have been baptized and are members by virtue of their baptism. But now they need to understand and see the need for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The importance of it. And we teach them, we instruct them how important it is to take the Lord's Supper, to make confession of their faith, join themselves as living members of Christ's church. As parents, in summary, we're doing everything that we can to see to it our children are being led in the way that they ought go. We live in days when children are being abused. They're being used for selfish ends. Days when selfishness abounds and it influences parents as well as children. But by God's grace, we put God first because we love God and we desire to live to His glory and to His honor. And we pray that that love for God be seen and evident by the love that we show our children as we seek to train them up in His fear. As we seek to be faithful, we cry out again to God. We realize how sinful we are. We realize how far we fall short. And we pray that God have mercy upon us And that he bless the work of our hands. We do that on the basis of the promise that we have here in this passage. When he is old, he will not depart from it. The training period is filled with prayer, watchful anxiety, and painful experiences as parents. Parents pray long and hard for their children. They pray for wisdom to train them rightly. And parents then watch their children go sometimes down ways that are their own ways. And they watch them get caught up in that way. And the sorrow then that it results in. And the parents grieve over their children. Who of us could ever persevere without God's covenant promise? We lay hold on that promise and we cry out to God. Thou art the one who has promised, now do it. Apart from this promise, everything would be in vain. But God has made a promise. And we're encouraged by that promise. And we see Christ in that promise. Christ is here in this proverb. This promise, like all of the other promises in Scripture, is for the seed of the covenant. This doesn't imply that our training can make one a child of God. It doesn't mean that we are capable of doing what only God is able to do. But it does mean that the child of God's covenant, regenerated by His grace and trained according to the way that He should go, will not forget that training. And what beautiful illustrations of the Bible we have as parents to encourage us and to bolster us. Think of Moses, trained by his parents only for short years. And yet, as he got old, he remembered that training. And he made a pledge to live with the children of Israel rather than pursue the pleasures of Egypt. Think of Godly Samuel, trained by his mother for only a few short years and then exposed to all kinds of sin in the tabernacle at Shiloh. And yet, as he got older, showing his commitment to God and to the things of God's kingdom. Sometime we're going to see immediate, steady fruit for which we rejoice and we give thanks to God. Other times, that fruit is going to be long in coming There's going to be stubbornness and we're going to discipline and we're going to pray and we're going to think nothing can break that stubborn, rebellious spirit. And then all of a sudden, we're going to look back and see, wow, what did God do? A wonder occurred. That one who was so stubborn, who was so rebellious is now pliable, is now pursuing the things of God's kingdom. And we're going to give thanks to God and praise Him for what we know was His work of grace alone. At other times, a child may depart when he's young. He may go the way of his depraved nature. He experiences grief and heartache. He causes his parents the same. But when he's old, he doesn't forget. And because he's a child of God, he can't keep kicking against the pricks. And God turns that one to remembrance. And the seeds that have been sown early on, are used by God to bring that one back. And with then the father of the parable, we receive that prodigal son and we lay hold on him with thanksgiving to God for the work of God's grace in his heart. That's the work of Christ. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Others may never be trained. We labor and we pray and they rebel. And they give evidence of a spirit that despises admonition and we pray for them that God will turn their hearts but ultimately we need to leave them in the hands of an all-knowing, all-wise, merciful heavenly father who will glorify himself through all the works that he performs according to his good pleasure. We lay hold on the promise that And that's our inspiration and that's our motivation. And we have great reason for thanksgiving as we look at our own lives. We look at our parents, our grandparents. We see evidence of this promise in their lives. They looked to God. They made tremendous sacrifices. They trained up children. And God blessed it. And now they have great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren who are following after their footsteps. This is God's doing. What a marvelous God we serve. A God who pledges his faithfulness to the fourth and fifth, tenth, hundredth generations. God says he will not depart from it. And we see how marvelously God has worked this wonder. He that was a child grows old. And that one physically can hardly walk. But he's able to tell you about the training he received when he was young. Knows the songs of Zion. He's able to recite scripture. And he'll sing and he'll speak and he'll walk in the way that he was taught when he was young, the way in which he was trained. What a marvelous wonder of God's grace. This is God's doing, beloved, and we rejoice in it. But we personally have evidence of that faithfulness in us. We look at our lives and we stand in awe. God has been merciful to me. And that same God who was able to lead me and guide my life is the same God now at work in the heart and the life of my child, my grandchild. God who was faithful. God who forgave me. God who kept me from the snare of the devil. Who allowed me to get burned so that I could learn not to take for granted those sins. That same God is the God to whom I look. And the God who gave me a Savior, Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I know that my salvation is nothing of myself. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. By nature, I'm no better than the one who continues to walk in the way of rebellion. It's all of God's grace. And we fall on our knees. And we stand in awe. What a great God we serve. And beloved, God's glory is our motivation. We want to give Him all praise. We want to show Him thankfulness by the whole of our lives. And we want to do that as parents, training up the children God has given us in His fear, Not for the world, for God and for His glory. And we don't lose perspective then in putting too much emphasis on the things that are going to perish. But we emphasize and keep our focus on the things that are going to endure. Holiness, godliness, truthfulness, Soundness in faith. We encourage those traits. We pray for those traits. And we lay hold on Christ. And the promise of His Spirit. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us. We know how sinful we are. We know how undeserving we are. And we stand humbled by the wonder of Thy goodness, Thy love, and Thy care for us. Thou hast given unto us a Savior, and Thou hast taught us. We are not our own. We belong to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who will not allow us to go unrepentantly in the ways of sin, but who will bring us into the fullness of the glory that awaits, leading us by His rod and by His staff, by His Word and by His Spirit, Strengthen us as parents, that we might be faithful to the weighty calling thou hast given. And may we, in prayer, in humility, cling to thy word and to thy promise. For Jesus' sake, amen.